Hi, we're the ladies of LifeSite, and we're so glad you're here. We're ladies simply navigating the challenges and triumphs of this modern culture as moms, wives, sisters, and daughters. Join us each week as we discuss the raw questions and situations that we face every day from our unique perspectives. So grab your cup of coffee, tea, or beverage of choice, and let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Ladies of Life site. We're so glad you're with us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, Maddie and I are joined by two amazing women, Leslie Sonnen and Natalie Sonnen. Leslie's a mom of four here on earth and one in heaven, and she works with Danielle in LifeSite's Sustained Life program. Also joining us is Leslie's sister-in-law, Natalie. Natalie has been involved with many aspects of the pro-life movement in Canada for the last 20 years. Today, we're going to be talking about how they became involved in the pro-life movement, and we're also going to be talking about how to talk to kids about abortion and other very difficult issues. We're thrilled to have them on the show and have lots to talk about. So in the past couple of weeks on the podcast, we've been talking about just like the power of the pro-life movement. I'd love to know how you two got involved. I'll go first. So I started way back when, and I, I often tell this story of being a, being a child and hearing what abortion was for the first time when I was about nine years old from my mother, which actually is going to tie in very uh, well with with today's session. I was nine years old and I had heard about it on the playground and didn't really think anything of it and mentioned it to my mother. And she really gave me a sense of what abortion was at the age of nine. And I remember she was very tactful, but also she didn't hide the truth. And I remember that night or at some point around that time, having a dream that really stayed with me. And in the dream, I somehow had gone down to our local hospital. I was living in uh, North Vancouver at the time. So I had this little this little baby in my hand, this little, it was a fetus. It was an ab- aborted baby. And I was trying to rush out into the onto the streets with this, with this baby to show people, you know, to show them this terrible thing that's happening. And I just remember, I never forgot that dream. And as I kind of grew up through high school, the issue surfaced again in debates in class. I was always very vocally pro-life. I also enjoyed the logic of it, the fact that our, our perspective is so consistent logically. And then my first year in university, I was very engaged. I was the president of the pro-life club. And then later on in my professional life, it just seemed like a natural fit that I would go into this work. And I, you know, worked in the pro-life movement professionally for 20 years. But it all started with the way in which my mother described what abortion was at, at the age of nine. And she did it in such a way that it made an impression on me. And that, yeah, that's what got me involved. That's really amazing. And I know later in this episode, we definitely want to talk about how to talk to our kids about the pro-life movement. And I think you've just 
touched on it in a really beautiful way that it is important to get our kids involved. But before we kind of make that transition, Leslie, I know I really want to hear from you because you were telling me earlier about, I don't want to call it a journey, but kind of your progression of depth in your pro-life commitment. So please, I'd love it if you would share with some of our listeners. Mine's kind of opposite than Natalie. We didn't talk about it growing up. Um, We didn't at all. Like it was never, I probably didn't know what abortion was till college, to be honest. It just was not a topic that my family, my circle talked about in one way or the other. And when I met my husband, his family is very involved and it kind of opened my eyes more of how, you know, important it is to be pro-life. And we, we have four children, but my main turning point that made me want to stand up more for um, these innocent babies is we had, we have our, our oldest daughter who, when she was one, we found out we were expecting again and announced at her first birthday. We're very excited. And then at 12 weeks, we lost that baby. And I actually had a very rare miscarriage where I actually delivered the baby and I delivered her in the basement of church, which was amazing. My water broke. It was all just for as, as a tragic of situation as it was, it couldn't have been more beautiful. So we lost this baby in the basement of church. My husband held, held the baby and she was probably two inches big and had, you know, a little tummy, eyes, ears, feet, arms, everything. And that moment, I remember looking at this baby in my husband's hand and it only being two inches big. And I remember thinking, no one is ever going to tell me that it's not a baby. And this was 12 weeks along and no one, and like, and at that point it really changed. Like, I need to start speaking about this. I need to start speaking for this, you know, for, to show that yes, even, you know, even before you know, baby is is born, babies are babies. Like we need to, I need to be more vocal about this. And it really was surprising to me because, you know, we had, we had our child's body and we, we buried her and my friends and family were very surprised by that. And I remember being shocked that they were surprised by that, but to them, you know, a miscarriage normally you don't have a body. And so it, it actually was opening for them as well to say like, this isn't a clump of cells. This isn't this, I have a baby in my, in my hand. I have to, you know, to, to bury this child. And so that really losing, losing that child of ours really opened my eyes to wanting to do more for the pro-life movement. I mean, that's been six years and, you know, we, we attend any, everything local that we can support, you know, pro-life movements. It's, but that was my kind of, I knew what, I knew what being pro-life meant, but even just losing a child in the miscarriage way opened my eyes more in the pro-life way, if if that all makes sense. But that's kind of our my story of how it just opened my eyes a little bit more because it wasn't it just wasn't taught to me early on at a young age, um, which I'm excited to talk about a little, little bit later of what we're doing for our our children. Wow. That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I know miscarriages are very difficult and they don't get talked about a lot. My husband and I lost our first baby just a couple of weeks into our pregnancy and it was absolutely devastating. But I think something that you touched on that I think is really important is telling people. You know, you said that you'd already told people you were pregnant and that you were expecting. You know, in our in our culture, there's this, oh, we got to wait until three months before we tell people because we might miscarry. Well, that's still a sweet little baby. Um, 
And we, we told our parents that we were uh, expecting, but we didn't tell a lot of other people. And that actually made it harder for me when I miscarried because I couldn't just tell people, hey, I just lost my baby. Like, I, I'm having a really hard time right now. I think it's really important because it, it continues that humanization. It, it's just consistency in our rhetoric and consistency in how we live our lives, right? A baby is a baby, whether they're teeny tiny and at 12 weeks already have hands or they're six weeks old and their heart is already beating, or even before that, from the very moment that they're conceived, they're still a baby and they are still so precious and so, so valuable. And I think that helping people understand the personal side and the emotional side of abortion is also really important. You know, we can talk to our kids about here's here's what happens in an abortion, obviously in a tactful way. But I think when you take your kids down to, to pray outside of an abortion clinic, it, at least from what I've seen, my our little one is not quite old enough yet, but we went when I was younger and, and I've taken groups, you know, from my college and, and other, you know, kids in church and things like that. And just getting to see that change when they, they go from having heard about what's happening to praying for these women and seeing a woman, you know, sometimes they're in tears walking into these abortion clinics with, a, you know, somebody leading them. Sometimes they're not, but I think that it just makes a big change. Um getting to see it. So I would love to hear, Natalie, maybe you have some advice on this with all of your background that you have, because I know sometimes abortion clinics are not a good place to take your kids. When I was younger, we, my mom took us a couple of times. We had tomatoes thrown at us. We were, people were swear, you know, swearing at us. And she was like, okay, my kids aren't quite old enough to handle this. So you kind of obviously have to, to be attentive to your own kids. But Natalie, you have a ton of experience. So I want to turn the floor over to you and hear from you. I looked into this from a, you know, through my work, and I was actually surprised at the dearth of information for children that that we need to sort of catechize in this area. So there's lots of, you know, curricula out there for for homeschool families, and there's lots of, you know, all kinds of materials and things like that. But when it comes to stuff that's at, like, actually pro-life specific, there wasn't a lot of material and I was really surprised. So I really had to dig and there there are books out there. There's a few and I'm going to actually just refer to some of them because I, I know people can actually, you know, go on d- different sites and order order them. For instance, Sophia Press has this beautiful book, Angel in the Waters. And I know my daughter from a very early age, you know, from about three or four, was looking at this book, and it's beautifully illustrated, and it's got, you know, the the angel is like this little this little star of light, and you see the the developing baby, and it's all hand drawn. It's just beautiful, and it's just the story of this little baby who comes to be in its mother's womb, and then is birthed, and then experiences life outside the womb and remembers, you know, remembers life back in the womb when, when, you know, it has its bath or whatever, this little, this little child. And it, again, it's just beautifully illustrated, but things like that without ever having to address the abortion issue for for young children, this is just a beautiful, beautiful story for them to, you know, be familiar with the continuity of life. And I know one of the things that I did when I was working, we we actually ran a program. 
just it was a little video thing and we put a whole lot of resources together and one of the questions I had children think about was does life come from non-life and and to get them thinking about that well how can that be how can something that's not alive suddenly come to life it doesn't happen you know so so those kinds of ideas can really start to permeate and 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 get children really thinking obviously life life is a continuum life is passed on life comes from life so you never have something dead just suddenly come to life there's always some sort of a continuum so things like that and then i've worked alongside some organizations over the years one of them being healing the culture and they've put together a fantastic very dynamic it's a, a video based curriculum so it's done like the muppets you've got it's called philo and sophie and it has the little penguin who's called philo and sophie is a mermaid and they have all these adventures and what it does is it instills uh, basic philosophical truths about logic happiness morality and respect for human life all all through these little puppets and through animation and little songs and things and it teaches children to think so it's teaching them about you know the the law of non-contradiction something can't both you know not be and be at the same time and in the same respect so you can't both have something that's a baby for one person and not a baby for somebody else it either is a baby or it isn't you know things like that so these are really important principles that are being taught at a at a young age for children through puppetry very creative and very engaging i would say i would highly highly recommend that for for anybody out there who's wanting very specifically to educate their children on these issues in a way that's very age appropriate and then i'd also recommend two books from the sisters for life one is called i would climb any mountain for you and again just a lovely illustration of the first 9 months together of the mother and child and uh, look again thomas and this book is an inspiration as well a little boy uh, deals with a little boy with down syndrome um called angelo pio who lives in manhattan and um the sisters for life actually know angelo and his mother and it's a little story about his life and and all the children with special needs so it it touches on that issue as well And then another book I would recommend and this I think is a much older book When You Became You and I'm not actually sure where you get that one from let me just see here just Barnes and Noble so it's it's Christine West is the is the author but so those are some you know some very practical things for children and I I think it's definitely an issue that needs to be raised as young in age as possible to to as i said sort of imbue them with these these principles of life you don't need to talk about abortion and i wouldn't talk about abortion until the child is you know 9 or 10 and, and able to really cope with you know the the awfulness of what it is but to really give them a sense of how precious life is what a miracle it is how how life is this continuum 
even ideas around our rights, the rights that we have as human beings that don't come from a government or any other, you know, elected uh, body or otherwise, but are given to us by God. All these things can be dealt with really well, I think, and, and I would recommend these materials. So just again, it was Angel in the Waters through Sophia Press, Philo and Sophie from Healing the Culture, and then these two books from the Sisters for Life, I Would Climb Any Mountain for You and Look Again, Thomas, and then a, another final but older book, but I think still very good, When You Became You. So that those are my recommendations, and I've used them with my daughter, and she loves them. And she, the little songs in Philo and Sophie, she she sings, and she sort of nags me to 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 look at the little videos again and stuff. Wow, I'm so excited about all of those resources. I mean, so excited. I and I think that you just hit the nail on the head. And I feel, I mean, I'm a little embarrassed actually because. You know, how do we teach our kids about the pro-life movement? That's what I ask. But we all know this, and sometimes I know, especially myself, I'm not good at articulating it, but it starts with living it, right? And that's exactly what it sounds like a lot of these books do, is they they help teach kids from a young age. Like you said, a child's a child, how beautiful life is. And I think that that's just, like, it was just a good reminder for me that you don't necessarily have to teach kids about abortion to teach them to be pro-life right? They don't have to be, you know, they don't have to go hand in hand. And so I, I want to thank you because that was just a personal kind of revelation in terms of how you teach your kids and have it be sustainable. And I think when you have a good firm foundation in life, it, it becomes a lot more sustainable of a belief. Leslie, do you have any thoughts or additions to that? I know your kids aren't quite as old as Natalie's, but any any insights you maybe want to share with us? We also have the Angels in the Water book. It is a huge favorite in our house. And I can't speak enough of it too about the illustrations are just amazing, incredible. But one thing that we do at night, you know, my, my oldest is seven, my youngest is one. And like, we will pray for the end of abortion. My kids don't really know what that means. We haven't yet, you know, in a sense of like, we're praying for, for babies. They know that. But as Natalie mentioned, like, they're not at the age that we're ready to explain exactly what is, you know, happening with abortion. So, but we still, you know, we're getting that, um, you know, in them where at the end of the day, we're praying, you know, our nighttime prayers. And that's, that's always one of our nighttime prayers. The other thing I was going to say, Maddie, is that you hit on the head too, is when we, you know, find out that we are expecting, we tell our children as soon as, you know, we find out, you know, it might be like the next morning, but they are not, they, they are on this journey with us and they want to be just as excited to know they're having another sibling. We do not wait the whole 12 weeks. We don't, you know, even I've been told that like, oh, you know, isn't it hard to, you know, not tell people in K because you've lost before. And no, we don't, we, you know, we want, if that is the case, we want the prayers right away. But we tell the kids right away, we make sure that they know, you know, everything they, you know, about baby growing in mommy's tummy. And they just, they, they're, I mean, my, my youngest has just turned one and, and they are, you know, can't wait for another one. So it's, it's just fun to have them also be so, um, so happy about life and about more kids too. And without really, you know, just trying to keep it, as we mentioned, like light and, um, just happy to be, to, to know, to be a part of life. So, but Natalie, you know, I look to Natalie as a huge mentor here with, with her work and her, just what she's 
excuse me, what she's done with her daughter as, as someone to look up to. That's a really good point, Leslie, that you raised there. You know, we we pray for, with our children and Leslie and children and my children are very close and have grown up together. They're familiar with the word abortion. So, and my, my daughter's just a little older, so she's eight and she's come with us to pray outside the Planned Parenthood, you know, not too often, but we have brought her and she knows that that something bad is going on. Something bad is happening to the babies and that we're, we're trying to help the babies and the moms. So that's enough, you know, I think for a child to know. So we pray to an end to, for an end to abortion as well. And that's, it, that's a beautiful part of, of, of a daily routine and daily prayer life. So they, they've heard that word, they're familiar with it, but like Leslie says, they don't necessarily know what that means. But my, my daughter does know that it's something bad. Something bad is happening to these babies, and we're there to help them. And, you know, we're like the superheroes that are helping the moms and the babies. So, and I think, you know, as my daughter grows older, obviously the reality of it will, we will discuss. I probably won't mention anything to her till she's maybe 11 or 12, maybe 10. I think, you know, with my personal case, I was in the, you know, the school system, whereas my, my daughter's homeschooled. So there is a certain, I have a certain control over, you know, what she's going to get exposed to. But for my own, my own case, you know, my mother having to explain to me, well, no, actually, you know, that's, this is, this is really what happens. You know, I was, again, I was, you know, in the school system and hearing things. So but even at that age, even at nine, it, it really made an impression on me. And like I said, her example is what led me into the, the pro-life movement, both her and my father. Last week, we spoke to Bryce Asberg, who um, is a friend of Lisa. He is a director of a pregnancy resource center. I'm just wondering, in your experience, like, have you guys brought your children to volunteer pregnancy resource center? Because I know they're young. But he mentioned that that's one of the things that they can help with. You know, there's endless things to do at places like that. But like, what things have you brought your young children to? You know, they can't go to pray in front of an abortion clinic, but they can do other things. That's a really good idea. One of the things I've done with my daughter is brought her to conferences or events, you know, where if there's a gala dinner, she's been to lots of those sorts of events. I haven't been as much involved because I've worked on the educational side of this movement. I haven't been so much involved in crisis pregnancy center, but that's a, that's a really great idea. And I would fully, you know, endorse that. And that is something that I would like to do. It's something that I know my, my other sister-in-law does with her children and uh, it's it's really wonderful. So any any kind of event, you know, the children can always be included, and uh, it's always a, a great opportunity for them. It, it, again, to get that whole sense of the the life ethic, you know, sort of to be imbued with that life ethic. Can I just add though, when you said the gala, I've been to galas where kids have actually done the serving and like welcoming people in. So. I think kids should get involved in that too. For my youngins, we have on occasional times like gone shopping and but purchased items, you know, diaper bags, clothes, you know, things for 
pregnancy resource centers. So in that way, they're slowly, you know, learning. We're gonna, you know, we're we're gonna buy this for another mom who needs some help right now. So, just if it's just that little of a thing, they at least get the idea that, you know, we can help in this way. I love that. I'm gonna do that with my nieces and nephews. My aunt was telling me a story. They were helping uh, some people with some people in need, and they were giving them, you know, food and things like that. I think it was during Thanksgiving. And my cousin was with this little girl <laughs> and gave her her um, American Girl doll. <laughs> my my aunt was like, yes, but that was really expensive. My daughter does that all the time lately. She's like, well, I, you know, so-and-so needed or doesn't have this toy, so I gave it to them. I'm like, oh, oh I love it. <laughs> so sweet. That's so sweet. <laughs> but also, ouch. <laughs> What other stories do you guys have of your kids like doing sweet things like that? Because I know you guys have amazing children because you two are amazing women. My daughter's actually made signs. It's a kind of more particular to, to the work that I was doing and that I do. You know, she made her own little pro-life sign for, for the life chain, actually. I guess that's, yeah, that's something that, yeah, that is awesome. You know, we, we've done the life chain. And as a little girl, she stood in the life chain and, and held her little sign. So, yeah, that's that's another way in which they can participate. Actually, I, I thought of this while you were talking about telling your kids about your pregnancy. Has there been like a really great reaction from them when you told them about a pregnancy? I mean, they're always excited. I'm trying to think of an actual my, my the last time we announced my my last pregnancy was at Thanksgiving two years ago. And my son wore a shirt that said this little turkey's going to be a brother so uh, <gasps> they get a kick out of like it. little you know the ways we announce I guess is they get a kick out of it because and this also last pregnancy my we hadn't we hadn't told my my parents yet because we had it was Thanksgiving and we've had found out the night before that we were expecting and we had told or a couple of nights before but we had told the oldest kids about it anyway they told everybody at Thanksgiving and my, my poor parents <laughs> didn't know yet so. <laughs> We had to quickly make some phone calls so my mom and dad weren't the last to find out. <laughs> but they are very they always get very excited and yeah, so they have I have I have two girls and then two boys. It's, the girls are are itching for another girl. So someday. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> and they're they're the cutest kids on earth. They're so cute. I met the littlest one and he's just adorable. Maybe we can transition to a little bit more difficult topics which, you know, is always fun to talk about. But I know it's something that a lot of our listeners have asked us about, and that's mostly just what's going on right now, right? Now, it's it's difficult. It is difficult to talk about. But how have you guys handled it, and how do you talk to your children about it? I have none, so I don't know anything. <laughs> the pandemic issue has been tough for kids, I think. Just the way my personal family is we've understood that you know it, there's been a lot of sadness there's been people have died from from this virus but on the other hand there's also been a, a lot of fear and and then a lot of strange things coming from government bodies you know flip-flopping and rules about this and then changing it and then changing it back and then the whole notion of the vaccine coming out. So there's a lot of stuff there and a lot for children to have to work through and unpack. My daughter is 
I guess in a way, as, as an only child, she does get included in, in a lot of these adult conversations. She's eight years old and she's, she's dealt very well with it. Just today, you know, she was commenting that she was saying, sometimes we're not afraid of the virus, we're afraid of the government. <laughs> wow, way to go, mom. <laughs> you are doing a great job. Yeah, yeah, from the mouths of babes, you know, like there's, there's been this terrible virus, but the response, and she can, she sort of recognizes the response has actually, in some cases, been more devastating to people than, than the actual virus itself. So, you know, and she, she's grasped that. So, but I, I do think she's in a unique situation. Again, you know, as an only child, like I said, she does get, you know, involved in some, she's sort of always one ear, you know, she hears us talking about it and she comes rushing in the room and says, really, what, 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 what? She wants to know everything. So, so as much as we try to, not shock her or, you know, try and mitigate things a little bit for, for her age. Like I said, she really is able to cope with, you know, she hasn't lost any sleep over any of this. And life does, for her, life does go on, you know, fairly normally, her, her day-to-day life. My husband and I both had COVID. She didn't seem, she must have been asymptomatic or something. She didn't um, have any symptoms and we had it early on, so we had it in October of last year. So it wasn't a variation of the virus. It was the original, and we weren't that severely affected. So, again, her her fear of it is not that great because her own parents had it, and we were fine. We were down for about four days. It is tough. It's In a way, it's kind of sad that, that children have to go through this right now. And I do really feel for kids that are in school and that are you know, forced to wear masks and things like that. Fortunately, like I said, we homeschool, we do co-ops. So we're involved in in school two days a week. But the, the mask thing has not really affected us. But I know, and I know Leslie probably can speak to this because there are, you know, she knows some children that are really affected by these mask mandates and are very limited in their physical activity and things like that because of because of them. Yeah, I can kind of speak to just school in general. I mean, the as Natalie kind of talked about as well, you know, we kind of are sharing, but not sharing too much about what exactly is going on. But one thing that's been interesting is, and I, I don't know if it's like the fear of the virus or the fear of being not included in things, but like my, my daughter had a cough and someone, one of her friends, you know, was saying like, you can't sit by me, you have a cough. And even though she was perfectly fine, she just had this lingering cough and had no other, you know, she was not sick, she was not contagious. And the fact that, you know, it was so much where she didn't want to go to school because this little boy was saying something about a cough. And so it just, it kind of turned our attention to like, wow, it just was another thing that we had not addressed before of people being nervous about a symptom. So, but the other thing I was going to say about things that we've experienced is this was about a year, a year ago was my three and a half year old at the time we were at a store and and she didn't have a mask on. She, she has a form of asthma and she came up, an employee came up to her and yelled at her for not having a mask on three and a half year old. And I was standing right there and I was just shocked that this would have happened and that the employer didn't talk to me, the mother and 
he went right in this little, you know, my little girl's face and yelled at her about where her mask is. And she didn't know what to do. She just broke down crying. And I was in a state of shock because I just couldn't believe it had happened either. And so it's just things like that where I don't, you know, we're still learning how to talk to our children about situations like that. I still can't believe that happened. I wish it would have been more prepared to to say something, but these are children. These are innocent children not trying to cause anyone harm. And I think that that's just so heartbreaking because why should we have to subject our three and a half year old to being yelled at by some random stranger? Like that's just, I couldn't imagine. That That makes my heart break just thinking. I, I'm tearing up right now just thinking about a little kid being yelled at. I couldn't imagine somebody feeling like that was acceptable or okay and as parents you can't prepare your little kids for that they live in the in dallas and there were mask mandates at the beginning of this school year and some parents said okay we're not going to send our little ones to school but everybody all my kids who are you know middle school or older i'm sending them with this note and i'm going to teach you know I've, i've given them kind of talking points of you know here's what you tell your teachers and I've told them, do not do you, you will not wear a mask. You tell your teachers why, and if they want to send you home, I will come pick you up. But I thought that it was a really important distinction that these parents made asking their older children to stand up, but saying, no, I'm going to, you know, my little ones just aren't, they're not old enough yet. We're just going to keep them home until this mandate is removed. So I think it's important as parents to kind of try to walk kind of that fine line, Natalie, kind of like you're, we talked about with educating about the pro-life movement. You're not going to tell your two-year-old everything that happens in an abortion, but you can start to teach them about the importance of life in general. And so I don't know the answer because... We only have one little one who's quite little, who you can hear in the background. <laughs> and and so I'm not really sure what it looks like, but some sort of kind of gradual education of your kids in a way that they can grasp the concepts and be able to kind of have a little bit of strength, but also know that delicate balance of, you know what, because you're getting bullied for a cough, you can go ahead and stay home. You don't need to stay home because you have a cough, but I'm, I'm just going to protect you from, you know, the chaos that's going on at school that at seven, you know, it's kind of difficult to equip you to, to hand or to, to fight back again. Leslie, have you thought more about like what you would, you would say now if that happened? If that were to happen again, and hope to God it never happens again. But have you thought about what you would say now? I'd stand up more for sure. Like I said, it was more, I just was a, a shocking thing that we were at that point of getting a three-year-old upset. I for sure would have stood up more and probably, and you know, we did leave the store, but I probably would have made a bigger scene that I've, you know, that I did at the time. And um, I, yeah, I, I guess I don't, I, I, I haven't thought about it for a while. I tried to, you know, kind of block that out. It just was... That was probably one of our lowest points with all of this. But yeah, I, I mean, I probably would have just stood up more, been a little more vocal instead of just accepting it and walking out. That was probably not the right thing to do. But again, it was a very shocking experience to have happened. Who expects somebody to yell at your three and a half year old? I probably would have done the exact same thing, Leslie. I would have just been, I would have just stood there gaping mouth open, trying to figure out what was going on. But at the same time, right, we also want to balance. I, I'm going to be honest. I'm Italian. So I'm very fiery and I can get very worked up. If somebody started yelling at my child, I think I'd walk up to them and start yelling at them back. But that would be really ugly, right? That's not the kind of person I want my kids to be either, right? I want to be able to defend my kids, but I, I'm i not sure going and screaming in somebody's face just like they're screaming in my child's is really appropriate. 
you know, I, I'll be honest, even when we go to the store here, even though there are no mask mandates in, in effect, 90% of people wear their masks. And I walk around like, please don't look at me. I don't want to get confronted and I'm an adult. Please don't confront me. And I don't know what I would say at this point in time if somebody confronted me, much less my child. But I do think that it's something that we can all start to work on and kind of think about so that we can be prepared and we can have a good appropriate answer, right? Leslie, your answer was to leave the store. My instinct might be to scream and yell at somebody, but you know, there's a middle ground that I think could be really helpful for everybody, right? That could help educate employees and other people and show them that look, masks aren't the answer, but can also teach our kids how to be, you know, how to defend things in the right way. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Like I said, I'm, I'm not prepared for it. I just, I know that it's something that I need to start to think about and to, to kind of get good thoughts down on paper or in some way have some sort of coherent, cogent thought. We do need to sort of know our stats. I was reading just recently some doctors in British Columbia and a lot of doctors are, are banding together and forming associations and challenging the narrative. And uh, so the example of, uh, in British Columbia, a whole lot of doctors got together to challenge the health minister. And the very first, whole first section of it was about children and COVID. And they were saying in British Columbia, since COVID has, you know, hit us back in 2020, January, or perhaps even before, there have been no fatalities among children. And I think they named children was like zero to 19 or something like that. There, there have been no fatalities. And uh, so they were questioning, you know, if there's, if there've been no fatalities in our province, why are we masking children? And, and particularly, why are we mandating vaccinations for children? You know, with an experimental vaccine that's actually gene therapy, it's an mRNA, as we all know. So to just to be able to have a few talking points, I think, are, are really good just to say, did you know, you know, that it doesn't, this COVID does not affect children. And like I said, you know, my husband and I had COVID and our daughter was, was unaffected. We have to just, I think, be ready with just a few little points like that, that we can make and make ourselves heard in a, in a nice way. We don't have to be rude about it, but just to inform people and say, you know, this really doesn't affect children. So the the person giving your little one a hard time there, Leslie, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's the result of a lot of misinformation and fear mongering. And we do need to call it out. Demographics, they're, they're people with comorbidities and within certain age ranges that are susceptible and that we need to be, be protecting. But for the most part, anyone under the age of 50 has a very, very good chance of, of, of being fine, you know, with, with COVID. Your survival rate is, is over 99% for the most part. Um, unless, of course, you have a comorbidity, diabetes or, or obesity or different things like that. But for, for a healthy adult all the way down, especially for children, it's hard. You know, it's hard when you're being confronted. And I know I'm, I'm also somebody who, who doesn't, I don't like to have confrontation. It is very difficult, but it's good to have these things in the back of our minds and even for our own peace of mind as well, I think. One of our Life Facts web pages, there's a whole like printout. So it's meant to be like a small printout you can put in your purse about masks and the figures about masks 
and just information. And I'm thinking for somebody who, you know, maybe doesn't like confrontation, just grabbing something like that and saying, you know, I know that we might disagree on masks. Here are some facts and figures maybe you should read. And maybe that's all that you say and you hand them this little, you know, index card sized thing. But it, it could be a good way of educating them while also hopefully avoiding that confrontation. I know some people are getting a little um, in your face and will follow people around and do crazy things like that. Don't be afraid to address these issues with your children. I think children take a lot, they read a lot into body language. So if you can, even though the subject matter is is difficult, if you can show that you're, you yourself are not being overcome by fear, that you're dealing with this in a way that's confident, that you show that you trust God to your children, that even though there's this, you know, virus that's around and there's some people that are being badly affected, God's in control. And I think that's a really, it's a really good thing. It's a real wonderful opportunity right now to show your children in a real concrete way that we really believe that God is in control and that God is protecting us and God is fighting for us and God, God is with us. And so we're not afraid and we're not going to give in to this whole narrative of, of fear and terror and everyone has to be locked up or, you know, wearing masks and that, that really God, God is there. And so I, I really see it as an opportunity to live that very powerfully for, for my daughter and my nieces and nephews and other children that, that we come into close contact with. I went on a retreat one time and this sister was saying that, like, this isn't a bad thing that you feel like there's absolutely nothing you can do and we're such in a desperate situation. He said, this is not a bad thing. This is helping everyone get on their knees and praying and turning back to God. Parents can really give that to their children just through through their actions and, and the way that they're living their lives right now. Just doing your, your normal, your what your normal is. And, you know, my kids are back in school. Nothing has changed. It is, we are very grateful that everything is back to normal there and never was. It was always, it was always the same. It was always normal. And, you know, we're not going to not go to church, you know, like we're just like, so yeah. always, we're just, we're just going, just doing our normal. We're not going to, like, like Natalie said, we're not going to live in this fear of what's out there when we open our front door. Um, you know, we're just going to, trust in God and, and keep living our lives the way that we need to. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you guys doing this. Thank you so much for joining us in this week's episode. I hope these two wonderful women have inspired you as much as they've inspired Maddie and me. We have included links on the show notes to the resources that were mentioned in the podcast. We'd also love to hear resources that have helped you speak to your children about difficult issues. Reach out to us at any time at ladies at Thanks again for joining us and we'll talk to you next week. God bless you.